It's a real joy to be here with you this morning. Um, I was just greeting someone as I walked in the front door and said, it's been a long time since I've been back to the church, but I spent all of my high school days in this church. I'm the son of Bill Spanger and Kathy Spanger, and uh, this is where I really grew and was blessed by the preaching of the Word of God during those uh, very important years between the 9th and 12th grade. And so it's great to be back here and to have this opportunity to deliver to you the Word of God. I wish that my wife and two daughters were able to come. Unfortunately, they are very uh, sick at the moment. We got a little virus going around the house. Um, But they send you their greetings. And I also bring you greetings from our small church in Neuenburg, Germany. Um, This church here at Westminster has uh, partnered with us for over two years now in the planting of a small church in southwest Germany. And uh, this little church we call Neuenburg International Church, they send you their greeting and their love and want to say thank you. And I want to say thank you for your prayers and for your support for our work there. Just being here with you this morning, just singing these songs is very refreshing. Um, we, We often say that in Germany, to be evangelical is to be lonely, but to be reformed is to be an island. So, um, unfortunately, if you can imagine, and I think this is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, there is no Reformed Church in Germany. In the surrounding countries, there are. But the Lutheran Church was so strong there, and historically, there was never a Reformed movement. And so we're a part of an attempt to bring a Reformed presence to that country. And so we're very thankful for your prayers, and we would ask you to continue praying with us and for us. Uh, We come now to the text this morning. You may see in your bulletin, I don't know if they printed the old title in there, but we have a new title and a new text from John chapter 10, as Dan just read, as we're looking at the Good Shepherd. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and I think it's a very fitting passage for New Year's, as we enter into a new year and leave the old one behind. But one of the reasons I love this passage so much is because of the Bible's use and Jesus' use of animals. I love the fact, now, as many of you know, I, uh, the Spanger family, we grew up on a farm there in Pine Bush, not far away, with lots of animals. And uh, I was regularly in contact with uh, all kinds of cows and chickens, and I think we still have a few animals running around the house there. And um, even would try to wrestle some of the sheep when I was a child at times, I don't admit that. I like to admit that to many people, but I'm being vulnerable with you this morning. They're very stable creatures, by the way. Very hard to get in a headlock. But um, I, enjoy, I, I love that the Bible uses animals so much to explain the Christian life and to talk about the, the, God's people. That's one thing I love about Christianity in general, about our Lord. So many religions in the world um, use mysterious and enigmatic teachings to talk about their spirituality. They have spiritual writings which are very difficult to understand. You think of the Buddhist, uh, 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 the Gaudama, speaking of the one hand clapping, as you're supposed to imagine this impossible thing, and that's supposed to be very intelligent, and, but because I don't understand it. Whereas Jesus then comes talking to us about sheep, and about goats, and about olive trees, and about vineyards. As we just heard from Dan as he read chapter, from chapter 10. Jesus talking about being a good shepherd. That's something we can all understand. 
I love that about the Lord. And, and this is Jesus. Now remember, this is the one who hung the rings of Saturn, who created DNA chains and quantum physics, but he doesn't come to us trying to impress us with big words and concepts. He doesn't come using verbal hegemony to win us over. No, that's what I do when I want to win an argument. I try to use as many big concepts as I can so that you think I'm smarter than you and you just kind of back down. It doesn't work very often, but I try. But the Lord, he's not like that. When he comes to us, he comes speaking truths in a way that everyone can understand, even children. Little children can understand what Jesus means when he says, I'm the good shepherd and you're my sheep. Jesus really loves you. He does, and he wants you to understand what he's saying to you. He's not trying to impress you. He's trying to get you to understand. And I love this passage. As John Calvin once said, God lisps to us as a parent lisps to his child. You know, I have two girls. One of them is now just a year old, and you find yourself doing a lot of baby talk that you never thought you would do. Um, why? But why? Because you love that child and you want to communicate to them in a way that will hopefully make sense to them. So what I want to do this morning is to look at the lisping of Christ in this passage and the way that he describes himself in his ministry here in John 10. There are four things, there's many more, but I want to look at four things that even a child could recognize about the shepherd-like character of Christ in this text. And of course, it's a comfort not only for children, but for Christians of all ages. As I said, we're heading into a new year, right? There's all kinds of uncertainties that lie ahead of us. Uh, As many of you know, and you've talked to me, it's very kind of you to talk to me before the service about my father, who is down at Columbia Hospital, trying to recover from strokes and heart attacks and awaiting a very difficult surgery. And I thank you all for your prayers and concern, by the way. It's meant very much to my family. But, you know, am I going to see him in 2018? Is he going to still be around? We have all these anxieties and stressors still ahead of us as we look down the road to another year as we leave 2016 behind. In Germany, where I live, you know, we're a very uncertain time with the, the influx of refugees and the growth of Islam as I'm sure you've seen in the news. A new American president, what's that going to look like? I think we're all a little anxious about that. So many question marks and anxieties. And this is a good time to be reminded that we, the church, have a good, good shepherd. A good shepherd who is leading us into 2017. So let's do just that. Let's look at these four shepherd-like qualities of Jesus to encourage us to enter this new year with confidence. As I said, there's more than four, but we only have time to look at four this morning. The first shepherd-like aspect from John chapter 10 that Dan read for us, I find in verse 1 and 2. And I'll be reading some of them again so you can be reminded. Listen to what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The first shepherd-like aspect I want to 
make you aware of, remind you of, about our good shepherd, is that he's a shepherd who comes to his sheep through the front door. Our Lord's ministry on earth was, it was public. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't sneaky. It wasn't manipulative. He wasn't trying to win our devotion through back and side doors. Now, I bring up the U.S. presidential election and race over the past months. We're all tired of it. We don't want to talk about it. But something interesting that stands out to me um, is that as you watch these politicians give speeches, isn't it the thing that makes us sick that they're always trying to get to us through side and back doors to win our trust, to make impossible promises, to flatter different groups so that they can get their votes. But Jesus is not a politician in that sense. He's a king, but he's not a politician as in, 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 the, in the worst sense of that word. He comes to us through the front door. He gives us truth exactly as it is. He doesn't sugarcoat it. And Jesus still comes to us today, to the church, through the front door, by his word. One thing I love about the gospel, and this is one thing that makes it very easy to be a pastor, is that you can just give the truth straight. You don't have to uh, uh, dally around with it. There's no pandering, no manipulation. When you read the word of God in the gospel, it says, you're a sinner. You're an enemy of the almighty God. Truth bomb. Boom. There it is. In your face. But you can be reconciled to the Father through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. That's front door uh, theology. You can reject it. You can believe it. But there it is. You know, it hit me while I was thinking about this sermon and preparing. I think this is one reason why we in the church, Christians, often don't like doing evangelism, isn't it? It's because on the one hand, it's very intimidating to use the front door. Confrontation of any kind is something very few of us cherish. But on the other hand, using side door and back door ways of evangelism somehow seems, although less confrontational, a little bit like being a politician or a salesman. Who here feels like a salesman when they're doing evangelism, right? I mean, it just kind of makes you feel gross and, and greasy a little bit. It can make us seem a little inauthentic. We don't like to go through the front door, and so we use all kinds of techniques and strategies to do evangelism today. We have classes on all the different methodological approaches, and it can start to feel a little disingenuous. We stop using the front door and, re- and rely on side and back door approaches to bring people the gospel. But Jesus doesn't do that. He comes straight through the front door. I see this in a lot of churches, especially in Germany. I'm sure it's here too. I'm just not as in touch. Um, but it, 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 they use methods like this. You know, let's put on a dance or let's put on a play and make people think they're coming to something. And then like a big Trojan horse will jump out and tell them about Jesus. You know, let's do a baseball camp or something. And look, I'm, I'm as guilty as this as anyone. And there are times in life and in certain ministries where this is, I think, um, okay to do. But it can certainly come across as unauthentic. In Germany, and this is also to give you a little bit of a, for those of you who don't know our ministry there, a friend of mine and I, 20 years ago, 
went to Germany to play baseball. And uh, we thought, boy, this is awesome. We got great access to people's lives to share Jesus Christ. Let's do sports ministry. That's all we knew, how to use baseball for the gospel, sports ministry. And so we started doing that. And we started sharing our faith and showing the, the, the Jesus video with our players and so forth. And immediately, they wanted to kick us out of town. And the reason was because they said, you're manipulating us. You're using baseball to leverage the gospel. To sneak up on us with a big Jesus conversation at some point. And we were. They were absolutely right. And I'm not saying that that's always wrong. But you can sense in it a disingenuous... Is that a word? A dis... Okay, being inauthentic. You can sense that it's there for sure in the way we were doing ministry. As I say, it's not always wrong to, to do it that way. But you don't, I don't sense that Jesus or his disciples were doing this kind of kingdom proclamation. He says to his disciples, just go tell them the good news. And if they listen, great. And if they don't, go to the next town. Now, of course, the disciples were supposed to use wisdom, and we are too. The disciples were to know their audience and how to address them. I love Paul, for example. Paul, when he was doing evangelism, preaching the gospel, how did he do evangelism in Jerusalem? You stiff-necked people, you don't know anything. Very direct, very confrontational. But then he's in Athens in Acts 17, and how does he do evangelism? Oh, I see you have a statue to an unknown God. Let me, you're, very, you're very religious people. Let me try to explain that. So there is a time, of course, for um, knowing your audience. But at the same time, I think we can often become a little too methodological. I get the feeling Jesus didn't have a lot of techniques. He came through the front door. He spoke the truth just like it is. Some accepted, some rejected, and he moved on. One of my elders, I did my uh, pastoral training in Montgomery, Alabama. And uh, way outside of my, I think I had more culture shock in Alabama than I ever did in Germany. Um, because they looked like me and they talked like me, but it was completely different social expectations. But it was a very enjoyable. And one of my elders was named Glenn Draper. He was a banker, but he was a great evangelist. And he would say, guys, you've got to raise your flags Early, Fly your flag early as a Christian. You know, like the old ships in the old days, they'd come together and they'd fly their colors, they called it, to know whether it was a friendly ship or not. And if you were trying to hedge your bets or protect yourself, you might keep your flag down for a while to see whether this guy's friendly so you can get out of there. But Paul said, fly your flag early. Let people know where you stand. Don't be sneaky in your faith. Let people know. I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sunday. I love Jesus. I've got my doubts. I've got my questions. If you want to know them, I'll tell them to you. But I'm with him. And I'd love to hear what you believe about God and life sometimes. The honest front door approach to Christian living is more like Christ. It's honest. And at the end of the day, it's more loving. Just one side note. In Germany, when we changed our methodology from doing sports ministry to just doing our work for Christ, we split. So my buddy Rob, he's doing baseball development. He's a baseball guy. And I'm now a church planter. They're a pastor. It was completely see-through, no manipulation. And the Germans began to accept it because they could sense we weren't trying to, to Trojan horse them. We were just trying to do what we love and talk about the Jesus that we love. It's more honest and it's more like Christ to be upfront about our faith. 
Um, when, when I first planted the church in Germany in 2008, I made a very big mistake. And if I could go back 10 years and, and talk to my young self, I'd say, um, maybe don't grow a beard, first of all. It doesn't fit you. But also I'd say to myself, because the advice I was getting at that time, the advice I was getting was, look, when you come to Germany, people are not going to understand all this theological stuff. Okay? Just talk about Jesus, but don't talk about God as sovereign and God as predestination and election and reformed and Presbyterian. They don't know those words. They're going to freak out and run from you. Just talk about Jesus. Don't talk about all these controversial issues like sexuality. And Just talk about Jesus. And I said, yeah, that's all I want to talk about anyway. And so I did, and the church started to grow. And then about three years later, when those topics came up and they realized what I really believe, all those people eventually left. And I thought, man, it really shot myself in the foot with that. And uh, as Christians, we have confidence and humility, because it's not our truth, to come through the front door, just as our Lord came to us through the front door. You would never have come to faith if someone didn't tell it to you straight. Somebody has to tell you that you're an enemy of the Almighty, but he has sent his son to give you life. Well, since we changed our method, we lost a few in the church, but now it has started to grow once again. In Mark, what's the first thing Jesus does in his ministry? What's the first thing he says? Mark 1.15. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's front door. And he loves us enough to come through the front door. Okay, so Jesus is a good shepherd because he doesn't try to get to us through sneaky ways. He doesn't try to manipulate us. He comes through the front door. He uses the front gate, not by night, but during the daylight, in truth and in love. The second way that Jesus is like a shepherd for us is that in verse 3b, he calls his sheep by name. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. Again, going back to the presidential election, and next year, we upcoming in Germany, we will elect our next chancellor. And so we have a similar issues going on there. And when you hear these politicians speaking to you and doing these uh, conferences and doing these, uh, or excuse me, you know, speaking at um, all these events, they're speaking to you through the TV, and it looks like they're talking directly to me, doesn't it? It looks like Trump and Hillary and Kasich and... And and Sanders and all these guys are talking directly to me. But they're not. They don't know who I am. Chancellor Merkel doesn't know who I am. Trump doesn't know my name. President Obama doesn't know who I am. To them, I'm a number, a Social Security number. And and I don't hold that against them. That's okay. I don't expect them to know who I am and everyone in their country that they rule. But that's what makes Jesus a more amazing king because he knows you individually individually. By name. And he calls you by name. Every one of us. Growing up in my home, my father would uh, make us listen to lectures, theology lectures, by Dr. R.C. Sproul. And you say, boy, that sounds like a real fun childhood. But it, it, was, it blessed me later in life. And I know many of you probably know that name, Dr. R.C. Sproul. He's a great doctor and teacher of theology and philosophy. And when I was about 13 years old, I got to meet him. My brother Bill was at seminary in Orlando, and we went down for his graduation, and he introduced me, and so my heart was all a flutter. And uh, so I shook his hand, and he looked down at me and said, "Uh, Stephen, am I going to see you here one day? I said, yes, sir, I sure hope so. And he said, well, I hope so too. 
Well, I eventually did make it to RTS many years later, but he was not there. He had moved on to plant a church in Sanford down the road. So one of my years as a student, I said, I'm going to go there and just see his church and maybe I'll get, get to see him. So I went down to his church and I filled out some visitor information and went into the sanctuary, got there a little early. I got to the back of the sanctuary and sure enough, here comes Dr. Sproul right down the middle aisle. And I thought, wow, what luck. And he walked directly to me, smiled and said, Stephen, it is so good to see you here. And I was blown away. I could not believe that this man of, of such respect and honor could remember me, especially after such a long time. And uh, until I realized that I had a, the, one of those stickers that says, hello, my name is Stephen on it. And my, my, bubble, my bubble really burst at that point. But of course he couldn't remember. But, but it, for a moment, I felt what it meant to be, remem- to be known by someone who is highly honored and well-known, that he knew my name. I was like, wow. And then, you know, what the thing, but that happens. But that's what makes Jesus so much more amazing, that he knows me by name, and more than my, my name, of course. He knows every story, every failure, every wound, every insecurity. And this is not R.C. Sproul. This is King of Kings. This is the one who designed the little flagella which moves the cells around in the body. Jesus, I love the fact that Jesus walks through enormous crowds in Canaan. Enor- I mean, just the amount of faces, just a sea of faces. And he walks up and he says, Matthew, you come with me. Enormous amount of people. And he looks, Zacchaeus, you come on down. I'm going to go to lunch with you today. No name tags. He didn't need name tags. He knows, he knows his sheep. And he knows you by name. And you can trust him. He loves you. Thirdly, Jesus is a good shepherd because he leads us out and we follow. John 10, verse 4. When he has brought, us all, all, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Now, so far, the picture I've... I haven't painted it. John painted it. Jesus himself painted it. It's his words of Jesus as shepherd is pretty attractive, okay? He comes through the front door speaking truth and love. We all like that. It means he's not manipulative. He's not a politician. He knows us by name and genuinely cares for us. We all like that. That's good. It's generally appealing to most people. But here's where the story ends for many Christians, as in the way they look at Jesus, the shepherd. We like the loving Jesus who seeks us out, who comes through the front door. We love the listening Jesus who wants to know me and love me and know my problems. Loving Jesus and listening Jesus are great. But it's the leading Jesus that scares me. It's the Jesus who says, now, come and follow me. And this is how you can tell the difference between someone who respects Jesus and someone who belongs to Jesus, who is one of his own. Because his sheep hear his voice And they follow him out. And those who don't follow him don't belong to him. They don't trust him. They don't trust his leadership outside the safety of the sheep's pen. King David, of course, wrote these beautiful and very famous lines from Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, in in the perceived safety of our sheep pen... 
our safe places, our comfort zones, our man-made fences. We don't need to actually trust Jesus. We can watch him. We can respect him. But when he says, come on, we're going out where it's scary, where obedience is going to threaten your life and your time and your money and your family, we say, well, maybe we'll just stay here, here in the comfort zone, here inside the sheep pen. But do you know what a sheep pen looks like after a few days? And this is where my farming background helps me a little. But I best guess you can imagine, a sheep pen after a few days is simply full of nothing but mud and manure. Every last leaf, you know, a blade of grass is gone, and it's nothing but dirt. And the shepherd knows that he must lead the sheep out of this comfort zone in order to bring them to better grasses and stiller waters. But Jesus, he's not asking us to go out into the scary places just to test our faith. I don't know what you're going through in your life right now, but if you're human, I'm guessing you have some challenges. You're going through some issues. The Lord's brought you there not to test you, although they use that word later, Peter, but he's talking about testing as in making it better. He's not bringing you there just to test you if you're going to follow him. He doesn't want you to stay in the pig pen. Now I'm mixing my metaphors. The sheep pen. Because it's dirty and it's gross in there. And he wants to get you to good grasses and to stiller waters that are going to nourish you. But it's going to be scary. He's going to bring you through these scary times. He's leading us on narrow, scary paths to bring us to blessing. I mean, this was the whole problem with Israel, wasn't it? They were in the sheep pen of manure and dirt and grime in, in Egypt, in slavery. And God said, it's, you're coming out. You can't stay there forever. I want to bring you to where? Canaan, where there's good grasses and there's milk and there's honey and you're going to flourish and you're going to grow and you're going to be a nation unto yourselves. Come. And boy, was that a scary decision? Did they now have to come to the waters of the Red Sea with Pharaoh hot on their path? And even once they made it through that miraculous time, where did he bring them into? But a desert, a time of dryness, a time of the tongue sticking to the roof of your mouth, wondering where the next meal is coming from. But on the other side of the desert is the promised land. But what did the people say? This is our heart, isn't it? Israel is such a reflection of us. We want to go back. We don't trust you out here in the, dark, in, in, in the, in the desert. At least in Egypt, sure, we were slaves. Sure, there was no grass there. But at least we had something to eat. At least it was secure. It was safe inside the pen, inside the sheep pen. Why? Why did they say that? It wasn't because they didn't want to go to Canaan and inherit it. They just didn't trust that God could get them through that time. You trust he can get you through this time? You trust that he's a good shepherd? He's not just trying to hurt you? I think a lot of us think that. I do. You're just trying to hurt me with this, God. I mean, you wouldn't, if you loved me, you wouldn't bring me through this difficulty. Do you know? I mean, that's what Israel says. the same exact thing. But we have, the, we have the advantage of history. We can look back and see where he brought them and where he was taking them. And they did make it. And you will too. If you trust the shepherd and don't turn back. He's a good shepherd. He may bring us out into scary places. But he's bringing you through it. Jesus knows his sheep, and they know his voice. We're willing to follow, even through the valley of the shadow.
Because on the other side, we know he's bringing us. I mean, he even says it here in verse 10. Listen, I came. Why? So that I can test them and see if they actually love me. No, he said, I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's why I came. Not to make you suffer, but to give you more abundant life. Again, I think of my dad. I'm sorry to use the illustration so much, but it's on my heart and my head. But he's got this massive surgery awaiting him. And and he's going through this very difficult and painful rehab. And it's hard to watch your father go through those things, especially when he was a strong, uh, self-reliant man. And you think, man, these, these, these doctors must hate me. You don't cause this kind of pain to someone you care about. And yet wisdom says, no, this is going to be painful in the, long, in the short run, but he's going to bring me to life in the long run. Jesus is the what? He's the good doctor. He's the good physician. He knows what you need. And surgery is painful where you are right now. I know it. I'm there too in my own ways. But he's doing it for your good. To bring you to good grasses. Do you trust the shepherd? Do you trust the good shepherd? He's bringing us through valleys of shadows. To bring us to better grasses. And better waters. This is why I'm calling you out of the sheep's pen. So that you follow me to get where there is real satisfaction. And I'm asking you to give up some of the things you may love. Some comforts in 2017. But do you trust me that it's for your good and it's for my kingdom? Do you trust him? And then lastly, Jesus is a good shepherd because he says in verse 4a, when he's brought out all of his own. I love this. This might be my favorite one of the four. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them. Following Jesus It's scary. Okay, let's just be honest about that. It is scary. It's scary to use our money in ways that that threaten our livelihood for the kingdom or our house or our time or to speak boldly to a, a friend knowing you might jeopardize their friendship if you talk about Jesus Christ and your faith. All these what ifs. It's dangerous out there. But brothers and sisters, the good shepherd is one step ahead and he's clearing the way. He's already gone He goes before them. Yesterday I was in my mother's house and um, I was showing my wife, you know, pictures from our childhood and um, I came to one that really stuck out to me because I'm standing on the edge of a pool. I'm about four years old and of course I'm naked because mothers always, I don't know, you're always in family pictures naked for some reason. And I'm on the side of the pool and you can tell I'm, I'm nervous because my body language is, is, is I'm, I'm, I'm kind of squatting down, but I'm kind of leaning back. And there's my dad in the pool. He's in the pool and he's got his arms out. He's in the shallow end. You know, he's got his arms down. He's saying, you can tell he's saying jump. And you can tell I'm completely afraid. And now looking at that picture and being a father, I see how silly that is. Because my dad's already in the pool. I have this fear that I'm going to drown. I'm not going to make it. I don't know how to swim. And my dad's in the pool already. And he loves me. So I know he's not going to let me drown. And that's true of us as well when we think about the cold realities, the cold waters of death that are still ahead of each one of us. It's terrifying. But he's already in the pool. Jesus went there before us and he made the way smooth. And he's waiting with arms. Just jump. I mean, I don't want to. I don't like it. It's scary and it's cold. He says, but I'm here. I've already gone before you. I'm the good shepherd that even led you 
went out first into death, and I will lead you there myself. Why do we doubt? Why did I doubt my father? Why didn't I just jump with joy? Not that I'm asking you guys to commit suicide or anything. But why didn't I jump with joy into the pool? Why do we fear anything when we know the shepherd is one step ahead? He loves you. May God grant us the faith to trust him. Not just to believe in him. Not just to, that's easy to believe in him. You can believe in him from within the sheepfold. But to trust him, you've got to go. You've got to step out. May God give us that faith as we go into, I know tomorrow's Monday. and you, Well, tomorrow's a holiday. So that doesn't work too good. But Tuesday, at least, this week, you will be back in the darkness, in the valleys of the shadows, in your work and in your family and in your community and in your schools where it's scary to stand for Christ, to obey Him when, things, when, it's, when it threatens you. But I just hope that you will take into 2017 this truth that we have a good, good Shepherd. Amen.